Hello, everyone. This time I have the Bootstrap founder on the show. He created with his partner Danielle a SaaS business completely bootstrapped and sold it after two years. At this time, the MRR of his business was 55,000 US dollar. His story is truly unbelievable. We talked about how to find a niche and build a business around that, why bootstrapping is such a good alternative to the traditional VC route. We also spoke about how hard it really was to build Feedback Panda and where he thinks there are good business opportunities at the moment. So without further ado, here is Arvid Karl. Very cool that you have time to join this podcast today. I've read your book, but tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, what What's your journey a little bit? What are you doing right now? All right. Well, there's there's a lot to say, I guess. Cool. <laughs> so Feedback Panda was uh, the first project that I built with my girlfriend that actually went anywhere in my entrepreneurial life. But I had a lot of projects before that. So let me just start maybe by saying that I'm a software engineer by trade. I kind of always have been programming. I started that when I was like in ninth grade. It's like cool. 14 years old or something and, and never really stopped. I uh, studied computer science, and that was pretty hilarious because it had nothing to do with programming. So I kind of dropped out of that at some point, but found a job um, to code and then found more jobs to code and studied something completely different, uh, philosophy and political science, because I thought that would be interesting. Turns out it was, but not enough. Dropped out of that too. And I kind of like went through all different kinds of things in my life. Like I had a couple jobs here and there. I started a couple businesses with friends. I had a remote job in, in the Silicon Valley in San Francisco for venture back business and coded for them and coded for myself and built little businesses and didn't really know what to do. We always just thought, oh, this would be cool to have. And then we built it and then it kind of either fizzled out or it failed outright or it just went nowhere. And then at some point I had an actual job like as a software engineer for a business in Hamburg in Germany um, yeah. for two years. And while I was working for them, Danielle, my partner, was working as an English teacher, teaching English online because she had a leg injury. She couldn't move. She's originally an opera singer. So she's a, she's a singer by trade, oh, but wow. she couldn't do anything like that. So yeah. she had to find some other kind of job. So she found English as a second language teaching. So she, she taught people online through the internet. And there were, at that point, there was this kind of um, the, the first companies in China started to understand that it is a really good idea to teach kids in China English with the global economy. And it's even easier now with the internet to find people who speak English natively and connect them with the kids in China. So that was that was the basic premise of her job. So she, and that was 2016? I think that was somewhere around the end of 2016, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. That was, uh, she, I think she taught for that particular business for like a half a year, a year or something un until, yeah. or it, it must have been a couple of months. And she figured out that this is a great job. It's fun to teach kids over the internet. It's really, it's like engaging. You're just jumping around, doing a lot of gestures and singing. And it's really fun for somebody who likes I love to. It. I do that. I, I teach people online uh, German, but business German, finance German. Right. There's, there's no singing and dancing in that one, I guess, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> you, you should try it. Probably better retention rates with that. But yeah, it, it was it was kids, like from like age of four years old to like 14 years old 
Chinese kids didn't speak a word of English or spoke some English, and there was full immersive teaching. So that was lots of fun. It was lots of work too, right? If you teach for 10 hours a day, um, and it's, that is like 20 lessons because each lesson is like 25 minutes. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a lot. And you make some good money, at least for, for a job, I guess, that you can do from home, wherever you are. And lots yeah. of people figure that out. This was like somewhere between 15 and $25 uh, an hour that you could make teaching that, um, this. And you could set your own schedule. So lots of these mm -hmm. online teachers would teach in the United States um, before their kids woke up kind of just for an hour or two to make some additional money. And then they would go to their regular brick and mortar schools that they would actually teach regular as a teacher and, yeah. and do their day job. It's, it was pretty crazy. It was great for us because in Europe, time zone wise, you wake up at 9 a.m. in the morning, start teaching. That's the late afternoon in China. That's when the Chinese kids come home for additional tutoring. So that is perfect. Just turns out for the United States, it's like three in the morning. So if you want to um, start teaching, you have to do it somewhere between three and 11 a.m as a teacher in the United States. And that is quite early. So it's very stressful, particularly if you have kids and if you have another job to do right after that. So yeah. it, it was a lot of work to teach. And then the actual problem that our business solved that we found at Feedback Panda, that you had to provide student feedback. Like student feedback, after each lesson, you would need to write a couple paragraphs of text. What did the student do? What can they do um, to get better at it? What do they have to prepare for next lesson? For every single student, after each 25 hour lesson. And if you're not a fast typer, or if you need a coffee, or if to go to the bathroom, anything like this, you cannot fit this between lessons. So in addition to 20 lessons, 10 hours of teaching, these teachers would often need to spend two more hours actually filling out the feedback forms and sending that to the parents so they could know what, what, what was going on and what to do. And that was yeah. two hours that were unpaid, but needed because you wouldn't get paid from these schools if you didn't fill out the feedback. So it was I read this I read this in in your book and I was as I read this I was thinking well wow, that's crazy that's a lot of extra work yeah. that is unpaid additionally yeah. and it was super stressful too because after 10 hours of teaching full body immersion dancing and singing you're kind of you're done right you're done for the day and then you have to be creative and remember what you did nine and a half hours ago yeah that that really is not good unless you take a lot of notes and that also cuts into your time so what we did we figured out this was a common problem like danielle knew this because she was in the facebook groups and um following in, in other forums where those teachers would hang out and they would always talk about this oh, how do you deal with feedback this is so stressful and people would share their approaches some people were taking notes some people had like a word document where they had like pre written some feedback and they would copy it and add it add a name and stuff and then copy that and add some other things and post it into the feedback form but it was all pretty much a mixed bag right all over the place no, nobody had like a unified system so we thought hmm if this is a common problem and it's also a critical problem that every single teacher experiences the exact same way can't we build something to make this better and kind of build a business out of this and yeah. so, we, so we started figuring this out. Danielle was figuring out how could this be done so that every teacher um, had a meaningful way to generate this feedback without needing to write it by hand every time. And then we easily and quite quickly figured out, well, templating is the way to go. So Danielle had already written her own templates. Other people had written their own te personal templates. Some people had already started sharing their templates in a Google Doc with public access. So we, we knew exactly that the problem was there. We knew that people were looking for a solution. Otherwise, the Google Doc wouldn't have existed. And we knew also, which is very important when it comes to, to problems and solutions, we knew that people were willing to pay for technical solutions to their problems. 
because not only did these teachers need a solution for their feedback, they also needed something for the camera to put a funny background there or to have like effects and that stuff. And they would pay money for services like this. So we did a really, really um, intense validation of our audience before we started anything to see, is this something that we could actually sell to those people? Do they really need it? Is it critical? Then we did figure this out. Yeah, they did and they would pay for that. So we built a prototype. Danielle started using it for her own personal feedback. And yeah. once it was at a point, couple weeks, couple, maybe a month or two after we, I, I made the first, built the first prototype, it was at a point where we said, okay, now we can try and see if other people would like to pay for this. We had a 30-day trial. We opened it up, posted in a comment on Facebook that this is the tool we use for feedback. And then it went from there. The whole business just started growing slowly. People came in, looked at a product, used it, started paying for it. Um, on the first day, we had like 80 people sign up. I think on the maybe, first day, 80 yeah. people, well, were they a, all friends that you directly messaged to or were those some people it, that actually didn't? Well, the thing is, like, Danielle was in this community, right? She was in the yeah. middle of the online so she English kind of just said, ESL. this great platform. Try yeah. using it. Let exactly. me know if you like it. It's, it's, it's this whole thing that Seth Godin describes in his book, Tribes, which I really recommend for anybody who's building a booster really, product or... It's on my list. Oh, I need to write this down. It's, so below the Dyson, I write that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get a good fence. The summer is fairly hot. But yeah, also read tribes. <laughs> the, the, the wonderful thing about this book is I read it and I didn't really understand it. But Danielle read it and she immediately got it because she was part of it. She understood this so much better than I did. And she was mm -hmm. the person that, that, that was the head of the business. Not only was she the CEO of, of our business, she also was the product in many ways because it was her problem. She understood it. It was her solution yeah. that she had envisioned. She was in the middle of the community. She was building her own personal brand as a teacher that helps other teachers in this teaching community. So... At that point, maybe she wasn't, when we started, she wasn't that person yet, but she became that later. At that point, she was just another teacher, but she would share something and teachers love to share. If there's one thing that, that teaching is, it's sharing, right? It's sharing of knowledge, sharing of expertise. It's making other people become part of this greater knowledge. And people in this particular Facebook group, they just love to share. So we put the link in there. They looked at it. They said, oh, this is awesome. Shared it with other people. And it, it became very organic, a very organic kind of word of mouth um, marketing that we didn't even have to do any kind of paid marketing or we never did um, to, to get a product out there because there was this constant wave of people sharing our product with each other. We later supplemented that with a referral system where people would actually get something from that, but they would share it anyway. Like the referral system didn't make a big impact because people already shared the product and it grew organically from yeah zero, obviously, when we started to around 5,000 customers within two years which um, with our pricing that we also increased uh, after one year kind of came to $55,000 in monthly recurring revenue. Yeah. And at that point, we sold the business to a private equity company called SureSwift Capital um, uh, for a life-changing amount of money. And ever since then, I've been writing about my experience building this business and failing at building all the other businesses before. In, in the book, Zero to Sold, that you've read, you'll find a lot yeah, of these yeah. little stories about what worked at Feedback Panda, what didn't work at Feedback Panda, what didn't work at all the other businesses before. I was trying to make yeah. it less of a, oh, this is the way you have to do it kind of book more and more of this is what we did, this is what we tried, yeah. this is what didn't work, what worked, and, and what I kind of learned and understood from it. Yeah, I've been writing ever since we sold the business. First, I started a blog. And then as a software 
yeah engineer that, like that's, writing I mean, yeah everybody can write down words and so on i hmm. guess but but like picking that up and actually enjoying it or being kind of good at it that's impressive let me say something first what i like about your story is that um you as you described you did all those different things you worked for various companies you started your own projects together with other people um you uh you 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 didn't succeed there or succeeded a little bit then you worked for remote for a, a company in silicon valley and then hamburg and so on and then and then you found that niche then you found that that problem that there is and you kind of had a plan of how to solve it so you to me it seems like you had all the skills or you kind of developed those skills even more in the process of creating feedback panda but you had the foundation you just didn't have that problem that precise problem you talk about that in the book as well do, do you think that is kind of so important for people to really uh, not just rely on their skills and try to um, i don't know build the most fancy product that there is but rather focusing on what do i like to do and what exact precise niche problem is there and am i able to solve that I, absolutely. I, I think over the last couple of years, not just through my own um, experience, but also in um, having more consulting and mentoring work with other founders, I have found that the usual approach that, that founders have, um, or that maybe engineers have, or people who work in product have, is to always go with the idea first. And that's not a big surprise because our whole world consists of products. Everything around it is around us is a product, right? The laptop is a product. The microphone is a product right now, or the, the, the can of uh, water that I have here. Everything's a product. We don't see things in their abstract shape. We see them as a product. So when we think about what we can do, we also think, oh, I want to do this. I want to build this, right? It's not, how can I serve this group of people? That's not our first yeah. thought. Our first thought is always, oh, what can I build? What can I make? What can I sell? Yeah, yeah, and yeah exactly. The I've I've understood that if you start with an idea, you have to, and then you start with a product. Kind of, you build a product, and then you have to figure out: is this actually a problem for anybody? Then you figure that out. Okay, it might be for some people. So, who are those people? Right. The the you start with the product, and then you start with more questions. There's no answer. Right. You you build something, and you don't know if it's going to sell. You don't know if uh, if it's going to be. A dud and nobody will look at it or if you just wasted a year of your time just building something that you think people might like but if yeah. you start the other way around if you start with the audience if you start with people and actually select a group of people that you want to help and instead of having an idea you have an audience that you start with then you can see okay there's this group of people Let's say, I don't know, the example that I have in the book, I think is plumbers or something like that. Just or mm -hmm. it's it may even just be in my mind, but imagine you want to help plumbers because you have a plumber in your family, or you are in in a in a in a business with other plumbers or something like that. Mm -hmm. So you know, okay, here in this country, there is, I don't know, like uh, 80,000 plumbers. So this these are all people doing the exact same job. They all have the same requirements, they have the same problems. And now that I've found this audience, is it good enough? Is it big enough? Is it uh, the right size for me as a bootstrapper? Can I build something for them? Um, if it has the right size, then you have an audience. And you know these people exist, right? You know that plumbers are out there. You, you haven't thought about any idea just yet. You just know, okay, there's 100,000 plumbers. And then you go to the next step and you look at, okay, so what do these people actually need? What are their problems? What kind of 
uh, problems do they have every single day? What kind of problems can't they delegate? What problems are so critical that if they don't find a solution to them th through any means, they suffer, right? And then you start talking to these people. You go into these communities, you talk to plumbers, you, there are forums, there are websites by plumbers, for plumbers, where they talk about all their problems that they have and how they solve them. Not unlike the kind of uh, Facebook group, Facebook groups that Danielle was in for the teachers, where the teachers were talking. There's just really no difference between teachers and plumbers when it comes to where they congregate, where they hang out. Like there's always a water cooler somewhere. You just need to find it. And then you will hear their problems. And the more you listen, the more you will hear certain problems occur more and more and more. Right? So, when it comes to plumbing, apparently, and I've been doing this kind of experiment, inventory is a big problem and sourcing pipes and sourcing materials. So sorry, can I, yeah, can I interrupt you there? Sure. So would I, would I then walk around through life and have just my eyes and ears open and, and, and try to be aware of all the different niches and, uh, and problems that there are and try to see if I can think of a solution to solve that problem or do, is the, is a better way to, to sit, um, down and really think what are all the niches that are out there and what problems do they have? So do, do, do you think you, 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 you start approaching it systematically like that or more by randomly walking through life and, uh, and, and, just, uh, and just taking the opportunities that come? I think that really depends on how you work, of how your personality is, because some people can analyze things very well. Other people need to have the stroke of inspiration. But what I would say is that one leads to the other. I figured this out in, in doing some mentoring with, with people over the last couple months. You can start by just getting inspired by your own life. Walk through your day and take note whenever you do something. Whenever you interact with something, some object or some person, figure out what am I right now? Just imagine you start your day, you wake up and you get a coffee mm -hmm. and you don't just get any coffee. You get a good coffee from a coffee machine that you have like you had it imported or you have like a subscription or something. If you have that, then you are part of an audience and you're part of the audience of people who really care about their coffee, mm -hmm. like coffee aficionados. Right. So that is already one group of people that you're part of, that you understand because you understand how they think. And then I don't know, you take your shower. And um, it's not just any shower. It's like one of these, uh, these, these rainfall showers that you have, that, that people have, yeah, right? Yeah. Because some people really care about their showers. And I'm one of them. So I understand that, that some people just shower and they don't think about it twice. Yeah. But other people really celebrate the event. And if you do that, then you're part of the people who really care about how their shower works. And if there's music in the shower, how it smells. You know, there's all these little things that you are in your own life um, that you may not even notice are a niche that you could serve because you understand it and you care about it. And I think by going through your days for a week or so, just really making notes whenever you do something, what kind of audience is behind that? Interesting. Right now, you're, we're podcasters, right? Both of us have a podcast. Both of us uh, care about audio quality. So we both kind of know something at least about audio and about communication and about, um, I, I, I guess, syndicating content over the internet. Yeah. So we are part of that group. We could serve this group if we wanted to. And you could do this analytically. You could really brainstorm it in, in a closed off room, or you could just take a notebook with you when you do things. And whenever you recognize yourself being part of an audience, you just write it down. Mm -hmm. And I bet, because I've seen it, at the end of a week, you have 30, 40, maybe 50 audiences that you're part of by just recognizing it. And then you can start 
It's kind of skimming down that list and seeing which ones of these are actually interesting to me. Which one would I like to serve? Mm -hmm. And then you kind of condense that list down. I'm currently working on a framework to do this more efficiently, mm -hmm. but the, the basic idea is you take this initial list of all the audiences that you're part of, you figure out which ones do I care about, I actually care mm -hmm. about. Of that shorter list, you figure out which ones have interesting problems because you can spend an hour or something just looking into plumbing or coffee people, right? Are there problems in these communities? Yeah. Can I find, I don't know, the subreddit for people who really like coffee and figure out if they have, if they ask certain questions multiple times, is that something that I can do for them? It's a really basic example, but you can really dive into a community for a couple hours and figure out, do they have any interesting problems? If they have them, then you kind of put them on a new list that's getting smaller and smaller. And you just check, is the community big enough for me to make any money in there? Do they pay for tools? Do they pay for solutions? And then after that, you kind of end up with, I don't know, five to 10 individual audiences that have interesting problems that you care about, that you want to help, and that actually would be willing to pay money for solutions. Yeah, I, I like that. And that's where you look into what, what into do you, What do you tell uh, to the people who argue you should do what you feel passionate about? Um, you, you, well, you... I, I would say this is part of it because if you care about an audience, then that's one of those filters that I put in there. That kind of means you have to be at least partially passionate about that particular audience, yeah. right? And not not every passion can lead to a viable business, yeah. which is why I suggest finding multiple audiences, not just the one that's currently on your mind, but really putting some thought into who could I be serving? Yeah. Not just who do I want to serve right now? Who's like, for me, it's always software developers or other entrepreneurs, yeah. right? Because that's just who we know best in our jobs, particularly as a, as a developer. You know what developers need, you know what they like. Turns out that developers don't like to pay for anything. That's a shitty audience to do a business for, right? But it's not the only audience that, I, that, that I'm part of, and I can find others that might be much more interested in purchasing a product like podcasters or people who write blog posts every week or people who write books, authors. All of a sudden, these people, they're willing to pay money for services. They have to because nobody's going to edit their work for free and nobody's going to typeset their uh, the books for free, right? People have to pay for this. So they know that for good work, you have to pay money. For software engineers who are a lot of in the open source communities, yeah, yeah, it's not yeah. always the same, yeah, right? Yeah. But you can figure out a good audience that is willing to pay for your stuff and you can still be perfectly perfectly passionate about it. I would recommend being passionate. Do you, about do you it. feel like do, do, do you at least do, 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 I I I like I like what you said. Um it, it's valuable. Uh, I'm learning here. I'm sitting here and learning here. Um I'm obviously trying to find like little holes and little gaps um and, and to <laughs> oh, speak. Yeah, go for uh, it. Uh, um do do you think it's that approach is easier if you have um software uh, development skills um, kind of like especially when you go into I want to uh, create a product that I can then sell or uh, or maybe bootstrap um, because if mm -hmm. I if I'm not able to to program um, then I need to hire someone a co-founder um, uh, that then I uh, uh, bootstrap with if it's a co-founder I don't hire uh, if if it's not a co-founder then I hire would you would you say well that, that is like a huge advantage like or I, I it's always an advantage if you're if you can be a one man show mm -hmm. I, I particularly with bootstrapping the, the being a solopreneur that can do both the marketing the vision the technical things like pretty much the, the three basic roles of any business like the visionary the manager and the the technical expert yeah. right at least that's what um, 
the book The E-Myth suggests uh -huh. um, by Michael Gerber, one of the books that I always recommend reading because it really makes makes a big case for if you're technical, if you're good at what you're doing, doesn't mean you can build a good business. You still need to be the visionary. You still need to have like a, a business in mind yeah. that you want to accomplish and you still need to be a manager. You need to do all the tedious work, the marketing, the, the sales, the reaching out still needs to happen, right? If you're a great coder, doesn't mean you're good at business, yeah. but it definitely helps in building the first prototype to see um, if people really, if this, and it also makes it easier for you to envision a solution. If you have the technical skill, you can kind of guess, can I actually solve this problem? Yeah. Right? There are problems out there that are so complicated to solve, automated driving, like self-driving cars. Yeah. You're not just going to whip up a solution to that, even if you wanted to. Yeah. But there are things that are easy, that are already solved algorithmically or technologically that you could just tie together. And here's the point that I'm trying to make. No code, yeah, this just wave to of say tools that, yeah. that, that has been coming up more and more over the last couple of years makes building a prototype and even building a project, like a full-fledged business, much easier. Yeah. I don't think you need a technical co-founder anymore. It is good to have one because they can be more custom when it comes to customer um, like feature requests or landing that one big customer by building something just for them. Would, if you're, would if you're you in that you, kind of space. You, you would have been able to build your core product of Feedback Panda with no code in the way how it exists now? Yes. Crazy. I That's so. crazy. That is interesting. But because the Feedback Panda is essentially a CRM for students, right? It's like mm -hmm. customer relation management systems. That it, what is that? That's like a, a table of customers, a table of things they bought, uh, or a table of like connections and addresses and stuff. And Feedback Panda was really just a connection between a student, some student data, some class data, what they would teach, and then a report, a finished piece of text that was auto-generated. There might have been some code, really some basic kind of uh, data transformation code that I would have needed to write. But all the other things that were in the in the system itself, like the authentication, the payment, the administration, customer service, chat integrations, all these things, I would not have needed to write a single piece of code. Like you could have done this with Webflow. You could have uh, done this with um, so many tools that exist in the, in the no-code space. Um, that would have been can you name some? Possible, really just can you good. name some that you think are good? Kind of like I mean, I find that interesting. I know which one do I know? Bubble IO, that's the one. That yeah. I oh, well, the thing is, I'm I don't like giving recommendations on things that I don't know much about. So I can um, the only thing that I've really ever uh, efficiently worked with is Webflow, and that is great. Interesting. Um, I mean, Zapier has always been the the glue tool. In, in no code as well. So I've been working with that as uh, as well. Um, there's member stack, member space, these kind of authentication systems mm -hmm. that I've dabbled in. But here's the thing there, just go to MakerPad, honestly, and, and check out what they say. Check out their tutorials, mm -hmm. the, the website. I actually did a workshop with them a couple of weeks ago. I'm with Tom Osman of MakerPad. And we had a, a great time talking to no code founders, asking questions about how they can do stuff. And it turns out you can do pretty much anything with the tools that are provided. And there's so many no-code tools at this moment that I don't know yeah. that I'm not comfortable giving giving any recommendations here. Some of but them you find the no-code community. That's with and and quite sophisticated platforms. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I looked into that. It's crazy. Um, what I think what many people struggle with is. You're, you were, as I understand it, you were working full-time as a software engineer 
and you mm -hmm. probably started working on feedback panda um uh, on the side how was it then transitioning from saying okay i stop my well-paid full-time job to go into feedback panda did you already mm -hmm. have the relevant uh, monthly recurring revenue where you then said well that's kind of a no-brainer or what how how was the mindset uh that's exactly what we did like we um we ran the business i mean I, the first thing you need to do when you're in a full-time job and you build a side project is to make sure that you can actually do this right ask your employer if it's fine for you to build a project yes. on the side. I, I, yeah, because, I remember that. Right? So some this, companies have that in their contracts. Uh, yeah, and, and it, it is part of most standard contracts that any work you do in the field of what you're employed as, yeah. as a software engineer, then any software that you build is owned by the business that pays you for your time. Yeah. So unless you make, make sure that you can actually do this on the side and you own it yourself, um, don't do it. Or... Um, make sure you get away, uh, not you get away with it, but you get, you find a way to do it legal. That's the most important part. And I did that, always uh, had to ask a question if I could do it, if, if people were fine, got a sure, that's all right. And then I, I worked on the business. Did, on the did side. you just so that's have important. a good um, um, relation with your with your manager, with your he head, and oh, you yeah. just went to him and said, well, you know, I have this niche, I, I need to uh, spend some time in the evenings on that. Yes, because not only had we been, uh, first off, the, the business that I was in in Hamburg was a really good one, um, a really good uh, IoT, like, uh, business where we would build like a platform internet for things, right? IOT. That's right. Yeah. In internet of things for sensor data to be aggregated in the platform was really interesting, really cool. Because of using thing that they're doing from Hamburg, right? Uh... Oh, I no, actually not. The, the business uh, that we initially started in was a, a site more, more like a startup that was grown in Eon, the power management company, like the power uh, company here in Germany. Uh, and it, it then turned into a, into a, yeah, a business that was trying to monitor um, power meters and, and water meters, like these kind of things that are attached to your heating systems in your apartment, uh, where uh, in Germany, at least, in many uh, areas, there's still people coming by with like a reading kind of device and they have to read the, the data. We found that there are sensors that can send data for kilometers of, uh, far away. That's a smart And we built a platform to put all of this data into the one aggregated form for them to use. And that was really cool. And that was a that was a business that was really founded by engineers. That we had like 10 engineers and two people doing something else. That was our business. Right? It was really, really cool. Um, so everybody was in good terms, good terms. And we would also do open source work. And we were using the Elixir programming language, which was rather nascent, pretty young. And we would build like open source libraries, both personally and through the business and open source it out. So there really wasn't any kind of problem with doing your own project on the side. So that was fine with us. But of course, you were still expected to do your 40 hours of work every week. And I did that. I, I moonlit Feedback Panda for a while. And then at some point, I also had a couple personal reasons to stop working for a bit. So I, I quit. And then a couple months later, jumped into Feedback Panda full time. Yeah. Right? It, was, it was still, uh, yeah, we started it after that. And it was a, uh, yeah, it was good. It was it was good to to be able to focus on it full time. But at that point, um, it didn't really need much work from me because we we could grow it from from the beginning as a side project 
because everybody had the same problem, the exact same problem with the exact same solution. So customer service was really easy to automate. People would always ask the same kind of questions and we would have automated responses in there, or we would write a, an article in the knowledge base and intercom, which we used for customer service, would automatically suggest it if somebody asked a kind of question. So people wouldn't even reach us anymore. So it was perfectly fine for us. Um, I think we were at 10,000 MRR when we went full-time um, on it. And then pretty quickly grew to 20 and started paying ourselves uh, at that point. And then, yeah, a year later, it was at 55. But that's we waited. Fantastic. That's and, crazy. That's like and, yeah, crazy. until it was good. Yeah, it was cool. <laughs> it was good growth. And you know what? It, it wasn't just good growth because people talk to each other. That was the, the basic functional component of our marketing. But the, we were in an industry. We were serving an industry that was expanding at that moment. When Danielle was starting to teach, they had like five, 7,000 teachers, just these Chinese companies. A year in, they had 20-something thousand teachers. And when we sold, they had 75,000 teachers, right? So all these teachers needed a way to get their feedback done. And all of these teachers would ask teachers who have been already teaching, how do you deal with this? So there was this, this kind of ongoing wave of people recommending our tool to other teachers because that's what they've been recommended by the teachers before them. And it was an expanding market. There were a couple of people on Instagram and on Facebook who were building brands as like very vocal teachers in the community. We worked with them. We had an, a marketing campaign every week. We would send out a newsletter where we would highlight one of our teachers and just ask them, so what's your story? And where do you come from? What's the coolest thing you've ever done? And we would have this kind of thing, the VI Panda in the newsletter, highlighting the community and just giving people the, the kind of content that they would share in their community. And that was what the marketing would be very, very efficient um, at using to get new people into our product. Crazy. What a story. What a crazy story. This is, you should write a book about it. Oh, no. Wait, you already <laughs> did that. Yeah. Zero to Can, can do. Saying. Um, Done. Bootstrapping yeah, versus the um, regular mm -hmm. VC uh, route. Do, right. you, do you think um, entrepreneurs or just, I don't know, just people who want to start companies should think more about considering the bootstrapping route rather than the um, uh, traditional venture capital route? Do you think there's actually a little bit more value in there? Absolutely. I, I think I have two answers to this. One is uh, regarding the funding itself, and the other one is regarding the value of the business that you create. Um, let me just start with the, the value part because I think that's uh, yeah makes makes it easier to understand. I think if you need funding for your business, that's perfectly fine, and you get funding and you build a great business, you build a hyper growth like scalable business, and you dominate the market and you hire people and you build this whole thing. If if that is what you want to do, go for it. But if you want to build a business that you fully own personally, completely own that you can work in and on, on your own time without other people telling you what to do. And that you can eventually either keep running if it grows and grows and grows sustainably, or you sell it for um, an amount of money that will change your life forever, like give you financial security immediately. And then you can do whatever you want with the next business you start. Then I would recommend bootstrapping. I feel because bootstrapping I feel like, um, allows you to keep the value of the business for yourself at all times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like the last 10 or 20 years, people felt like 
there weren't a proper startup if they did not receive venture capital funding. Yes. And I think... Well, and you that have that particularly be... in Germany, uh -huh. right? In G Germany has this kind of perspective on startups that you have to wear a suit and tie or you're not in a business. And and in, in Berlin, it's the same thing. I've been... I've started a couple of startups here and I've been to a couple of startup events in, in Berlin and it always feels... Like um, you, you have to have venture funding or you're not a business, yeah. right? You, you may be a startup, but you, you're not recognized as somebody who's providing value, meaningful value to a community. And you have this in Berlin in particular because like it's the home of um, the, the uh, really big incubators and like the, 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 the groups that made Salando, right? It's like the, these big kind of uh, funds, venture Rocket funds and stuff. Yeah. So... Rocket Internet is is exactly the one that is always dominating the perception of what a startup is, and I'm I'm actually living like a stone's throw from the Salando headquarter here in Berlin. Oh, so like that, we I've have a daily there yesterday actually. <laughs> yeah, we have a daily walking route that we've been doing here because we just need to get outside of our little apartment yeah. with all the um the craziness that's going on in the world. We st still have to have a walk, and we pretty much walk through their office complex, and it's gigantic. Like there's thousands of people working there in, in gigantic buildings. And if that's considered a startup, well, then your little work from home remote business with a couple hundred uh, customers doesn't feel like a startup. But honestly, like we built a business in two years and we sold it and now we don't have to work again. Like, uh, it, that is business and that is a valid startup. Exactly. Right? And you don't have a boss. Once you have a VC, yeah. you technically have a boss. And that VC yeah. also has a boss, which are their investors. Yes. And that and yeah. those institutional investors, they oftentimes also have a boss because they have to serve the pension funds and the insurance funds yeah. and so on. So it's kind it's, of like a cycle where everybody has a boss, whilst in your and, thing, you had the full freedom. And I think having a boss... I mean, you, you, you're, you're your own boss. If you build a business right for yourself, then you are both the shareholder and the CEO of the business. So some decisions may, might make a lot of sense for you as a CEO. They might not make a lot of sense for you as a shareholder. So this little problem, it's an, it becomes an internal problem. We've just been talking to Danielle about this a couple, couple of days ago. It's something that you don't recognize. It's something that you, if you look at a decision in a business and you do it as a CEO, yeah, sometimes you might have to do this particular decision or make make a choice as the shareholder and overrule your CEO decision. Like it becomes this, you, you still have a boss. It's just an internal fight. Mm -hmm. What I want to say about this is at least when you're your own boss, your incentives are aligned, right? Your incentive is to provide value for your life, for your own financial stability. The moment you have a venture capital in your business, you have their incentives of like have, getting as much out of their investment might not be your incentive of building a sustainable business. Mm -hmm. But, and that leads me to the other part of the answer that I want to give you. There are funds that have understood this. There are um, investors out there that say, okay, I want to invest in bootstrap business. This seems to be a new asset class that is coming out of Nowhere, class. little small small businesses that grow sustainably, that have no outside investment, no no at least no cap table kind of investment, and that are actually pretty resilient 
to economic downtimes because they don't need outside investment, right? They don't need to cater to somebody else's economic demands. They can build their little business and adjust pretty quickly to economic instability. Mm -hmm. So as an asset class, there are now funds out there. And um, one of the people who sold their business to the same company that we sold our business to, um, his name is Tyler Tringas, and he's the founder of Earnest Capital. Mm -hmm. And instead of investing money into a business and getting a percentage of ownership, they have some sort of shared earnings agreement. So from the beginning of the investment, any money that comes in into the, the company that they invest in, they get a percentage, or at least there's a retainer for the owner of the business to pay themselves. And then they have a percentage of what they take of the rest, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So they participate in the actual revenue and the earnings of those small businesses and they invest in many. It's like it's like an ETF, like it's like an index fund, kind of. But for bootstrap yeah. businesses yeah. that you actually per, like invest in directly, all of them have revenue, and that revenue comes right back to you. So you immediately every month and you get don't, some and you don't kind have of money ownership. So when the, when there's no aim for the investors to sell the company to exit the company because they wouldn't get yes. anything out of that, they only uh, would par uh, profit from that if the company makes then more uh, monthly recurring revenue. And, and of course, they, they also thought about, well, if there is a, a round, if there's a Series A or something, how can we deal with that, right? And the, the shared earnings uh, agreement also has a, a clause that should you raise, they get a percentage of the company, mm -hmm. right? So the idea, it's not completely blind to the potential yeah. of venture capital, mm -hmm. but it's not aligned to get you there. Yeah. Their alignment is, well, we just want the percentage. And not only do they want a percentage, like they don't just invest in you. They, once you um, become part of the batch, and every year there's a new batch, you also get access to a mentor network. And this is a mentor network of other bootstrappers that, um, is, is, that have successfully built businesses before. And the rule is, if you want to invest in the fund, um, or if you want to be a mentor, you have to invest in the fund. Right, so it's this whole the whole point of this kind of class of capital is to align incentives, to be aligned with the bootstrappers incentive, and I feel that is so much more enjoyable than raising a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars, giving up like I don't know thirty, twenty something percent of your business, and now having a board that you have to report to, and you can't make any choice without their approval anymore. Mm -hmm. If you're just like one or two people. Like getting 50, 70K as a, a bootstrap compatible um, investment and then just giving up a couple percent of your revenue, so much more interesting. When are you starting then Arvid Capital? <laughs> oh, no, I, I think I'm just going to join Ernest, honestly. Yeah, we've been thinking about this um, and think we're going to be in there next year. It's not a bad idea. Yeah, but, because first off, it's great to be in a mentor network like this. Mm -hmm. Like there's people in, in these networks that have been building businesses uh, for for many, many years, like have been building successful businesses uh, in, in the in the SaaS, bootstrapping SaaS space and their partners uh, that, that you would find in there. It's quite cool. Like uh, there's, there's a couple of pretty well-known names in that um, community. Uh, let me just pull up a couple because that, that's just, if you are a bootstrap founder, uh, then yeah. being able to talk to... Yeah, just, just go to the website, honestly, um, and f figure it out. There's really cool founders in there. And, and if you are Boots in front of you, know those names. So that's the whole point, right? These are people that you already kind of aspire to become like, 
and now you just have access to that network. So that's really cool. Yeah. And you said you're doing mentoring. How does that work? Who do you mentor? So I've been using uh, a website called Mentor Cruise, mm -hmm. built by by Dominic, who's a, a Swiss software engineer slash entrepreneur slash founder. Yeah. And um, <laughs> Mentor Cruise is great. Like you can you can kind of you set a price for mentoring. It's like consulting, but kind of cheaper. Mm -hmm. And um, people sign up. People apply to be mentored by you. And then you just have a weekly call or you just chat via um, like text messages or through their portal or something. You can set up something completely to the needs of, of the mentor, uh, of the mentee that you have or yeah. you as a mentor yourself. And then you just like hang out with your mentees. Um, I, I stopped doing this because I'm I'm a kind of have a burnout phase in my life right now. You know, like building the business, selling the business, writing the book. Yeah. It's kind of getting quite a bit. Yeah. So I have to like do a Canada's do a bit calling. of uh, reflection. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> the nature, kind of, the just want to go move move into nature. Just uh, get a couple ducks. You know, just uh, <laughs> get a dog. Yeah. And um, but okay. mentoring is great. It was a lot of fun. Just getting to see people's weekly progress encouraging them to try certain things and um, having them report, having them ask you questions about things that they might be unsure of or just ideas that they had and um, just really seeing people grow, seeing their businesses grow, super interesting. Also was a great way for me to test the things that I was writing about in my book, yeah. obviously, because I was writing it these things from my own perspective, but it turns out that they also work for other people. So that I guess was worth it in a significant way what i found really fascinating about you is that you're like you're the software developer who studied um, uh, computer science and learned coding from it but you also like like to do podcasts you like to talk you 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 have a business mind and that's a great combination um as a mentor that's i guess also pretty valuable uh to have um i just talking to you i, I find this really fascinating um <laughs> Thank it's, you. it's pretty cool um that's really sweet a, a, Thank a, you. a friend of mine actually told me about your book and then he said um uh, uh well he 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 could be cool for your podcast so that's how i uh, got to know about you and then hey, immediately I, outright bought the book and uh is so also a fellow software engineer by the way so he is exactly uh -huh. in the same mindset as you are or, or as you were in the past um and and so this question comes a little bit from him and i and, and i like that question um it, everything seemed so easy in the book um but but or like you explain it and it all makes sense and so on about to be honest how hard was it really to to build the the product and to grow it and to make it successful or was it really like this is just the next step this is just how we are doing it this is pretty straightforward well that's that's a very good question because um obviously um, it's not all sunshine, right? It's uh, and and you're always it, it kind of feels like an overnight success, but it was an overnight success at least a decade in the making as well. So with all the things that didn't work for me before, and all the things that I tried, and all the kind of jobs that I held, even though I may may not have liked them, like or you know all these things that you do in your life that kind of seem pointless, they lead somewhere. At least they give you some sort of knowledge, some sort of experience and feedback panda itself. I mean, it sounds great, right? Growing this business to 55,000 in two years, but it was super stressful mm -hmm. because the moment you have a couple hundred customers and you're just two people and you never hire because um, you think you can do it all. 
as an engineer that also feels like they can do marketing and they can do customer outreach and all these kind of things. Well, then your whole day is full of just that, right? You wake up, maybe you get woken up because you have some problem on your infrastructure. Your monitoring tool gives you like a robo call and you know I have to fix it. Happened a couple of times. I still have uh, some sort of uh, PTSD from that because those calls at three in the morning, you still honestly, hear it whenever ringing. you get it. I, honestly, like um, at the end of uh, our feedback panda run before we sold it, like I was mostly doing um, the, the customer service by myself because I was I had automated everything else that was easy to solve. So all the things that came through were com complicated technical questions. So whenever I today, whenever I hear the intercom sound, the little bubble, and the, the, when it opens. I, I still get like my heart goes faster because that was always trouble, yeah. right? It was always lots of work. And I had to immediately drop what I was doing. If I was coding, had to stop doing that, solve somebody's problem. And then if you're an engineer, you understand that if you are in the coding space, it takes you a while to get back in there, right? It takes you half an hour to understand where you just were and what you wanted to do and what thing influenced the other thing. So if you get interrupted every 45 minutes and it needs like half an hour for you to to get back into stuff, you have maybe 15 minutes of actual work in an hour. So that is really problematic. And um, we never really knew what we were doing anyway with the business. So we started it, got customers, tried marketing, that seemed to work, and tried emails, um, sending newsletters, that seemed to work. Other things didn't work and we kind of stopped, but we never really knew what we were going to be doing because we hadn't set any goals either, right? We said, well, it would be kind of cool, cool to get to 50,000 MRR. That was the goal we had. And then we got there and we didn't have any further goals. So what do we do now? Is that, do we say 100 now? Or like, we didn't really have any goals. And not having goals, or at least not having an aspiration where you want to go, and being just the two of us and never hiring, which was completely my fault. Mm -hmm. And I, I talked about that last week on my own podcast mm -hmm. because every week I take like a subject and I dive What's deep. The it was a, the podcast is called The Bootstrap Founder, just like my blog and my newsletter, which kind of all have the same contents, just like different means of um for people to consume it um i talked about yeah of why we didn't hire how stupid that was for me not to hire a customer service person or another developer who could take of take care of things for me while i was doing other things um that left me with a lot of anxiety with a lot of stress and a lot of um yeah if if you are that anxious and if you're stressed you don't make smart decisions hmm. right yeah. and at this point it really it's a big business right it's a it's a six-figure business at this point, uh, making like 600-something yeah. in revenue a year. Yeah. So you better make smart decisions. But I didn't, or at least I couldn't do that anymore. So um, I, I kind of overcame it, and we, we sold the business, and everything was fine. We hired people to replace us, and I figured out, oh, wow, hiring is actually quite easy. Should have done this much earlier. And I'm, I'm still alive, right? I'm still kind of sane, mostly. And um, <laughs> the, the, the physical... The physical um, stress symptoms, they're still there. So I'm still battling with that. But I'll, I'll get over that too. It's not as easy as it sounds when you just read the numbers. There's always stress. And if you're just two people, it is a lot of things you give up. You don't hang out with friends or family much anymore because you're always in the business. It does give you some level of depression because you're just always in your, your office or in your home if you're working remotely. So you don't really get out much unless you make time for that but then if you have people that customers consistently interrupting whatever you're doing you don't even have time for that right and a partnership like i was building a business with my girlfriend it did some damage to the relationship that we had to kind of heal after we sold the business 
Because if you're partners in life and partners in business, one of those will struggle, or at least one of those will kind of take the back seat. And if the business needs more time, then the relationship gets less. And that's a problem. So yeah, that's, what, 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 it's, that, there's a lot of little things, right? And they all add up. Would you, would you say you have to go through that? Um, or would you say there are a couple of things that you can do to um, mitigate that stress? Yeah, I think um, understanding from the beginning that a business is a team effort is going to go a long way. You're going to understand that um, you can hire. You can always hire. You can hire for a job that takes two hours a week. Well, you didn't pay somebody for two hours a week. My, my problem was that I thought if you hire, it needs to be a full-time position, hmm. which is stupid, right? Because you can hire somebody for 10 hours, 20 hours, 30 hours. It doesn't matter. People will do their work. Yeah, exactly. And I never did that. And we should have done it. And understanding that other people are willing to help for money or for a percentage of the business. Like we both we split equity 50-50. So we both own half of the business. So there, there wasn't a question about like um, paying us in, in that regard. But if you hire people, they don't get equity in your business. Well, then you just pay them well. Right? If, if the company makes enough money, then you can pay them well for the service they're going to bring because that is going to add to the value of the business. So understanding that it's not just you is a big first step. And then I guess following the stories of other founders, which is why I wrote the book so other people can see what happened to us so it doesn't need to happen to them. And not just my work, but also just being on Twitter and following other founders through their journeys. There's a lot of really good bootstrap founder podcasts that where people share their current business where they are what problems they're facing what they're thinking about what they tried what worked what didn't work the um, um, transistor fm which is the the, the, the the platform where i host my own podcast they have a, a website a little part of their site dedicated to bootstrap founder podcasts which is just people talking about their own business. Mm -hmm. There's a couple like 10-ish something podcasts where you can follow other people's journeys. And I think that is the best way you can learn. It's just following the journey of other people but and, and learning from their mistakes, learning from their successes and understanding that everybody makes mistakes and that everybody has some level of success at some point. And if you're in the middle of your business and it doesn't look good, that is normal, right? Because that's just where everybody is at some point in that journey. And that's really what I think makes makes it much easier to do your own thing is to understand that everybody goes through the struggle and the struggle is worth it because at some point you'll emerge from the struggle victorious. Might take you a couple of approaches, might take you a couple of runs at it, but it will happen because I see it all over the place. Take Might take a year, might take two, might take 10. If you're a founder, you don't have control over that too much, but it will happen. How was the selling of the business part? Was that um, relatively simple? Did you approach um, potential uh, private equity firms or did they approach you? Is there like a platform where you announce that? How does that work? So we were approached by, by SureSwift Capital because we were sharing our revenue numbers, at least our MRR, on the website called IndieHackers.com, which is a community for, for all those founders, bootstrap founders mostly that just do their own thing and make some money and you can hook your Stripe uh, data right into the website. So mm -hmm. it pulls the real data every single day. 
And at some point, people were interested because they saw, okay, this graph is going straight up to the right. Okay. This looks like something that we could purchase, we could acquire. So they reached out to us. And I had already heard of them before because Indie Hackers also had, has a podcast. And one of the people who was on the podcast sold to Schurzwift Capital, so their own business. He's also a German guy. Um, uh, he uh, It's called Moritz Dausinger. He had like dog parser and mail parser were two of his products, and he sold both of them to this private equity company who now have like 34 SaaS products or 34 products mm -hmm. all under one, one business, and they run them themselves and grow them from there. So they reached out. We had a couple chats with them, talked to other people who sold to them, did some due diligence on our side, yeah. and then we felt, oh, yeah, this is actually kind of cool, said what we wanted. They said what they would wanted to pay. We found something that worked for both of us, and... Then we went through the whole due diligence process, which was very easy because as many bootstrap founders have understood, hooking up tools like ProfitWell or Metrics, these kind of payment analytics systems, um, make it extremely easy to produce a PL sheet, mm -hmm. like a profit and loss yeah. sheet, and make it extremely easy to give somebody else insight into the financial details of your business. Like we literally did just that. Here's a login and a password, log into our metrics, and you can see every single sale from the beginning of the business until two seconds ago, how much it was, what the churn rates are, what the revenue numbers are, uh, what retention is, what the, the cohort analysis is. These tools have it all. And they don't, they're not too expensive either. So the profit world is free. You can hook it into your system and you get perfectly usable due diligence data. And then, yeah, the, it was extremely painless of a process because we had everything in our business as automated as possible. So all these tools were producing all the reports that were needed. We didn't have to do any manual stuff anyway, because we learned to build a sellable business by learning that from a couple books um, that were on the subject. Might talk about that later. Um, <laughs> and yeah. our business was so easily sellable because it was completely automated, well-documented, and we had removed ourselves as much as we could from the business, the op actual operation of the business, that the whole selling process and even the transition process was a walk in the park. Really didn't take us too long to get it all. And we have a really positive, really good relationship with the people that we sold to. Um, yeah, it, it went perfectly. But that was just because we had a really simple product that was well-documented and well-automated. And if you can reach that point, then you can sell it super easy. There are platforms for this where you can um, talk about like that you, that your website is uh or that your product is ready to be sold there are brokers like fe international and um uh, empire flippers i think are the, the websites where you can go we can <laughs> where you can sell your whole product sell your whole business or parts of your product if you take a broker they'll take a part of the the sale price but they will also introduce you to a lot of different potential acquirers showswift is just one of them right there's many companies operating under that model but they reached out to us and we found an agreeable deal. So didn't need to go through a broker. So money solves uh, not all your problems, but your money problems. How, do, how did it feel like as you then suddenly, I don't know, went to your app, uh, your banking app and suddenly saw this weird number with a lot of zeros yeah, was uh, there? Bizarre, bizarre, really bizarre. And, in, and immediately <clears throat> you level up your problems. Now it's about keeping all that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, um, you they call them champagne problems because they're literally um, problems that uh, are related to luxury, I guess. But the moment you have financial stability or the potential for that, now you need to learn how to deal with that. Mm -hmm. You need to learn how to invest 
You need to learn how to protect your assets. Taxes are a big thing. Yeah. All of yeah. a sudden, they, we paid the city of Berlin a lot of money because we sold the business. And uh, now we needed to make sure that that was the right amount, right? And not yeah. too much. And that we could keep some of the money for ourselves. And it's uh, it's a different, a different problems all of, all of a sudden appear. But obviously, it's an amazing feeling. Like you built something. You helped thousands of people over the lifetime of the product. And somebody thought, this is worth an insane amount of money that you probably have never seen before, particularly not on your own accounts. Yeah. So that was nice. Definitely was a great feeling. And I would definitely do it again. Just need to relax <laughs> no, a bit. Really? Yes. Okay. So the yeah. relaxing part that is, uh, th that is kind of like uh, room for improvement for the next one uh, or for yeah, some other exactly. and trying to do something and, similar. And, and you make, you make different choices now at this point. And that, that was pretty funny. We went to a, um, an event here in Berlin at the factory, which is a co-working space, and Frank Thielen was there. It's like oh, one yeah, of the yeah. German yeah. In investor things doing the, the Lion's Den kind of uh, Shark Tank thing here in Germany. And he said something that, that we kept with us. He said, you want to reach the moment um, of, what was it, post-economic stability, a post-economic decision-making. Like you want to be able to make choices that do not depend on your economic situation, right? Because if you start a business and you can only use your own money and you have like 2,000 euros saved up or something like that, then the choices that you make are highly limited by the amount of capital that you have right now. But if you are in a financially stable position, then you can make completely different choices when it comes to risk, comes to investments, when it comes to making long-term decisions, not just short-term stuff. And um, this kind of post-economic state of mind, that's the, the way he said it, Having that, um, that now allows us to make different decisions. Yeah. And that's the thing that I always wanted to reach. And now yeah. that I have, it's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> because that, that's just where you make really uh, make your life better, like in a really long-term perspective. Yeah. What, 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 what problems, business areas, niches out there are you currently looking at or feel like they're 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 interesting areas to look at because some some of the things are right there um are there any on your list where you say hey if someone is listening maybe you want to mm -hmm. uh, look into that a little bit more well the, the, the biggest thing right now for me is uh, anything related to human to human interaction without being physically present like remote yeah. remote stuff right remote work remote conferences remote communication with your family, remote transactions, remote interactions, anything related. It doesn't have to be Zoom, right? It doesn't have to be like a chatting face-to-face. -face. That is nice, but it doesn't solve many problems. Like many problems go left unsolved by Zoom. Um, because imagine like a conference. Yeah, you're not going to have a conference on Zoom. Or at least if you have it, you're going to have a bad time. So the whole space is opening up, right? You have virtual reality. You have people working on holographic projection. There's cool stuff happening in virtualizing face-to-face -face interaction. And this is not going to go away. Like COVID is not going to go away. That's going to be staying with us for decades. And new things are going to come up. And we're going to have lockdowns way more in the future than we ever had in our lifetime before. And maybe the people that have been around for 60, 70 years have ever experienced. Like this stuff is going to stick. I, at least I would be surprised if people were smart enough to eradicate the disease <laughs> because there's always people that will, I don't know if you've seen it in Berlin, but all these party boats on the spray on a river here, like all these people not caring about health at all, 
like they will be the reason that we will have to stick with remote technology for a couple decades. So if you think these people were smartened up, then build something else. But I would highly recommend going into remote work and remote interactive te technology. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and consumer behavior changes from that as well. Yes. Like you people travel less, especially less far away. Uh, maybe they, they use the train more or the car more and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, business is done a lot more different. Yeah, interesting. And, and that is just the thing that I see right now. I mean, for myself, I'm always interested in helping other founders, helping people building their own businesses and seeing that the bootstrapping scene, um, that's what I said earlier with the asset class, right? There's something happening here that is happening on a much bigger scale than on the individual business level. Like there, people have un started to understand that they can make their own life change through building a business. And we see this not only in, in, in Germany or in the United States. I think the second biggest audience that I personally have is from India. And <laughs> India is currently exploding when it comes to um, bootstrapping businesses. People have understood that they can build from their home an international valuable business that they can sell yeah. to a, a company somewhere in the world. And you don't just need to have over all the people in the world as customers as your model uh, yeah. shows you kind of really just need a hundred customers who pay you a good uh, monthly yeah. subscription fee. That is already enough to start, right? Uh, it's, it's enough to sustain your life. And some people just want that. And that's perfectly fine, right? You don't have to build a business to have like a million dollar exit. Yeah. It's great if it happens, yeah. but you can just have a business that runs on 20, 15, 20,000 dollars a month sustainably for years. Like, nobody's going to complain about making 150,000 dollars from a business that is completely automated, right? Like, this is obviously you can sell it because other people will understand that if they can double the size, they can make so much more money, but you can just keep it for yourself. And many people do that. Like, many people have bootstrap businesses or content websites or little blogs or these automated tools or something that just generate 500, 600, maybe a thousand bucks a month. And they have 10 of them, right? Yeah. There's a lot of people out there doing this. And I would, I'm, and that's why I wrote the book. That's why I'm, I'm talking to people all the time. I want more people to be able to do this because that changes your life. Like and literally especially changes if you do it life. online, you're location mm -hmm. independent, yeah. which has a huge, that must have a huge impact in the yeah, future. Absolutely. Like, but it already has. I mean, like, you can already see it. Nice city, so it's it's like Berlin might be a little bit slower uh, to adjust than than London or New York yeah. or LA or other like mega cities where there are way too many people. But yeah, yeah, they will... yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I think Berlin is um, is a pretty expensive city and a pretty slow city when it comes to change, but. Um, we've seen this with our own customers at Feedback Panda. There were people teaching from, from Texas. like the, Most of them were actually from the southern states in the United States, teaching from home. And then there were people teaching from Bali and te people I teaching, right? Yeah. And, and, and that's, a, that's a big difference in expenses. And they both got paid 20 bucks an hour. Yeah. You know? Like one, one person has to spend a whole day teaching for their rent or a whole week teaching so they can pay their rent. Another person teaches for like, I don't know, six hours and the month's rent is done. That is a life changing yeah. location yeah, when it comes to this. Man, it's so interesting to talk to you seriously. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think we have to do that again at some point. Yeah, absolutely. 
I have some quick fire questions. Shall yeah, we? Sure. Shall we do that? Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, what's your favorite book? I almost hinted at it earlier, but um, <laughs> it's it's called Built to Sell. It's a book by John Warlow, and he wrote about making businesses sellable. Doesn't mean you have to sell. It. Just means a good business is a business that other people want to buy, right? So Built to Sell is the the, the blueprint that we use for Feedback Panda in automating everything and documenting everything, removing ourselves from the business as much as we can. And that's also the reason from the beginning um, why we made certain choices and that led to us successfully selling the business. So Built to Sell, John Warlow. Cool. What's a good life hack that you discovered? I don't know if it's necessarily like a life hack, but it is it's related um, to, to my recent experiences. There's this old German wisdom <laughs> that you can cure any, any illness with tea, I think. Um, that has been extremely effective for me, or at least make the illness more bearable, allergies, stress-related stuff. Just find a good tea with the mm. right herbs to help you and drink a tea. It makes a big difference. Yeah. Like if you Just have an inflammation, you and... get chamomile tea, drink it. You're going to feel much better. And that's, that is something that is cheap and it's something that works reliable. And if you believe in it enough, then it will work <laughs> super well. I'm just <laughs> making myself a cup of tea after this. Um, who do you think of when you think about success? Yeah, I, I was I really thought about this question because I feel that one of the immediate answers is always like other founders or people who've had like big success in, in my domain. But honestly, um, I thought Danielle's grandfather, it's like he's in his mid-90s and he has led a life full of joy and he fulfilled all of his dreams. He's been a farmer, like he's been responsible for like raising generations of sheep that are super well, that are price winning, all this kind of stuff. And he's extremely knowledgeable, both about his domain and people savvy. He understands, he can read people super quickly. He's, I think he is an amazing person that I associate success with, but not, but not because it's monetary, but because it's fulfillment. And I think the most exciting and successful people are often much closer to us than we think. Like they're they're right right in our families they're right in our circle of friends because you right also know us. them when you think of Elon Musk or who else Frank Thielen who we earlier yeah. mentioned you don't really know them you kind of hear them in a podcast and so on you, you don't know their their negative sides so well and you yeah you, you don't know like how much trouble they have to get to sleep right yeah. I I wouldn't wanna I wouldn't wanna be the world's richest person and get all this kind of vitriol that Jeff Bezos is currently getting deserved or non-deserved doesn't matter and have to live with that every morning get up get your breakfast and know that there's millions of people who hate you just because you're rich right that kind of stuff necessarily doesn't mean you're successful just yeah. means you're rich but to me those are not necessarily the same thing cool grandfather of your girlfriend um three top habits um that have a positive impact on you so uh, we Most kind of have already tea right yeah, yeah, tea, tea is important, <laughs> but I, I, uh, I wouldn't know if it's a habit or not. It's just uh, something that really works. But um, the big, biggest one to me is uh, hell yeah or no. The approach that if somebody asks me something and I kind of like it, but I don't really, I'm going to say no. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, um, yeah, maybe, I will say no. Only if it's a hell yeah, if it's a thing that I'm willing to commit 100%, am I going to say yes. And I think that cuts off all the things you don't care about very early. And if you don't want to commit to it, you don't have to. Because if you don't feel like it's a hell yeah, it's going to be a no. And it takes the stress biggest... away. You don't have to think about, oh, I still have to answer that person. Or mm -hmm. I still need to make that decision later on if I really want to do it or not. 
Yeah, I, I've been I've been starting like a couple months ago to respond to certain emails with a no thank you and nothing else. Really just no, comma, thank you. Maybe put my name under there and that's it. And if people ask why, not gonna tell them. I make my own choices. That so that that is one uh one thing. Let, let me get to the other two. Second one is take a walk every day. Honestly, I've been feeling much better ever since I left the apartment uh in these crazy lockdown corona times and just have a nice 20, 30 minute walk around um the area it really changes your physical being like to, to be able to take a walk. And if you're, if you're a person that likes sitting at home, I know who you are because you're me, but um, just getting over this, um, this inhibition that you have, this internal kind of struggle and just going outside, taking a walk, you can listen to a podcast. You could just talk to the person you're walking with. I take a walk with Danielle. Yeah. Um, or you can just think it, it will give you so much more space to particularly now that everybody's kind of at home and nobody has to go anywhere, take a walk. It really makes a difference. And the last one is concerned with reading. Um, I, I recommend, and I do read reading nonfiction books that are outside of your professional domain. Read about like professional books about psychology, read professional books about like how to raise plants or how mm -hmm. to farm ducks stuff that may not be related to what you're doing, but it will give you give you insight into the minds of other people, and yep. that is the most important thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely, I, I like that. I like it a lot. Um, you then you're then able to speak to other people from completely yes. other backgrounds. You don't feel like you you don't know what they're talking about, or you don't know which questions to ask, and so on. Yeah, and and that's I guess also recommended when you're looking for an audience for your business. Like as much as it's great to already be part of the audience. Um, that you find yourself to be part of in the beginning, you can also find another audience that you're interested in, right? Because I, uh, my example would be, I really want to raise ducks. I want to be a duck farmer at some point in my life. Not one yet. I'm not a farmer at all. Um, I might be in the future, but I'm already reading up on it because I'm just interested in it, right? And I understand that there are certain problems in that space that I might actually be able to help with software or with at least technical... Have you heard of hardware knowledge or something? Yeah, exactly. There, there's, um, there's this, and, and and like not not just permaculture, also like aquaponics, super interesting, right? These fields in, um, in in farming, the ag tech, like ag tech itself, IoT is a big player in the ag tech field. Like you chip your cow, well, might just as well put a sensor on it that also measures like heartbeats or body temperature, and they all kind of need to send their data somewhere. This is an interesting field to build a business around, right? So it, it just being there in other places, not just your own personal domain, not boxing yourself into what you're trained to do, but expanding your, your vision of the world will either find you something else to build a business in or just find you something else to be interested in. That alone is worth it, I feel. What was your best purchase under, let's say, 200 euro? Well, um, with Berlin being this hot over the last couple months, the three fans that we bought <laughs> in our apartment. Honestly, like we, you couldn't stand it in this apartment if it wasn't for for the air moving a bit. So yeah, I think I that's really important. And it kind of, I mean, kind of, I say this jokingly, but being in an office that is ergonomic and that allows you to do your best work is important. I, I have this chair, it's a bit more expensive than $200 or 200 euros, but ever since I got this really good gaming chair, mm -hmm. I've been working much more efficiently because my back doesn't hurt. I don't feel like I need to shuffle around in my seat. So making sure that your tools that you use, your mouse, your keyboard, your monitors, all of these things, the 
doesn't really matter what price range you're in or ergonomic. If you spend eight to 10 hours with them every single day, that makes a big difference. Cool. How do you recharge your energy? To me, it's mostly sleeping because I love to sleep. I don't know. I don't know why, but sleeping is it's just uh, I can recharge sleep. your energy when you sleep. That is crazy. But well, during the day, right? I could still sleep a full night, but I can yeah. also sleep for a couple hours in the middle of the day. So uh, I do that that a lot with audiobooks, like playing the also, Harry napping, Potter audiobook. You say napping is is helpful. Hmm. I don't know if three hours is a nap, but yeah, napping is That's definitely helpful. This yeah. is an extensive nap. <laughs> um, I, I think um, there, there's this kind of stigma to napping in our culture. because like your physical presence and your alertness is showing that you're working, right? It's like sitting on, on your desk and typing away. And uh, that means that you're working. There are cultures who embrace napping. I was actually with, I was in China with Danielle. Um, we were, like, she gave a talk at a, at a conference, an edtech conference, education technology conference. And we did this little tour of education technology companies in China. So we would go through um, offices of these big businesses that were building tools for online education and um, just uh, really complicated and interesting AI tools, all these things. And we were in an office and there were people napping at their desks and they had all the things. They had like a little nap pillow and stuff going on was perfectly fine. They were embracing napping at work. So why can't I do it myself, I thought, and now I'm doing it because I can do whatever I want, obviously. And so I nap for like an hour or half an hour every day if I can, and particularly now that I'm still dealing with the kind of burnout kind of results uh, yeah. or the, the resulting physical um, results of a, of a burnout situation. So napping is great to recharge during the middle of a day, and then I can just talk to people, can do my work, can write, can record. Um, I think sleeping is important. Obviously, I also recharge while reading and gaming, these kind yeah. of things that I've always enjoyed in my life. But I think sleeping with a good audiobook, I re recommend the Harry Potter audiobooks by read by Stephen Fry. They're great. That that is that's how I, I get back to those. energy levels. Yeah, I do too. I, I I can I can probably quote quite a quite a few things from those audiobooks. <laughs> it's, just, it's just really nice. It, it it does let you escape into a different world, yeah. and that's what sleeping and dreaming and stuff is all about for me. Yeah. Avid, this was mm. extremely interesting to me. Um, <laughs> where can people find you? Well, um, you can find me on Twitter. That's the place I hang out most at uh, Avid Kahl, A R V I D K A H L. I have a blog, I mentioned that earlier, called The Bootstrap Founder, which you can find at thebootstrapfounder.com. Um, the, the podcast is also there and the newsletter interested in the stuff that i write and uh, talk about every week and finally the book i guess uh, zero to sold um, what's the real name zero to sold how to start run and sell a bootstrap business that's the full name of it you can find that at zero to sold book.com um yeah it's, uh, it's available on amazon and gumroad as a paperback and i guess ebooks of all kinds and shapes thank you very much avid Thanks. That was awesome. Great. Uh, nice conversation. Thanks. So what do you think about this episode? If you have some questions or comments, please contact me. The best way to find me is on my website, ideas-inspired-action.com. You can also find that in the show notes below. Also, please take your first action and subscribe and share this podcast. So thank you. Cheers, guys, and take action.